remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. My name is Tim Young. And my name is Stephen Whitehouse. We are broadcasting here from a very unusual location. We've just spent a wonderful week on a place called Manitoulin Island at the Christadelphian Bible Camp. And we've spent the week here with some wonderful Bible studies with Stephen Whitehouse. I feel very happy to have grabbed him for this short period and to talk about his studies in First Thessalonians. So if you hear in the background some wind or some children playing or the birds chirping, it's because we're actually sitting in a tent in the middle of the forest, of all things. It's really just a wonderful part of God's creation. We've had such an uplifting week together. I don't know, Stephen, if you've ever This is a special camp, isn't it? It's really a special feeling. Yeah, it is, Tim. We've been here a few times as a family, um, but each year has its special feel. Yeah. Your studies this week have been in 1 Thessalonians, and as I listened to them, I picked up very early on, as, as you did in your studies, there is a very key, very important, essential Bible study throughout this epistle to the first Thessalonians and the second Thessalonians, and it has to do with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see like this is the backbone of this whole epistle and is a very important part of the ecclesia, this Thessalonica ecclesia that Paul preached to. I just wonder if you can give us a little bit of a background of the Thessalonians and what they were about in Paul's preaching. This whole point around the parousia is is a, a really important point because uh, this is all about the arrival of the king or the emperor and mm. this is what paul is talking to them about uh, they were to prepare themselves but but in terms of this ecclesia this early church at thessalonica it, it's an interesting one because when paul visited the thessalonians in fact it was already a well established city with a with a long history it was situated on the coast It was built on an ancient city of Therma, originally named after its hot springs, uh, Thermae. And interestingly, it was rebuilt and renamed by Cassander, who was the general under Alexander the Great, who actually called it after his wife, who was the sister of, of Alexander. And today, if we go to Thessalonica today, it's called Salonica. And it's a great city. It's in fact the second largest city in all of Greece. It's a commercial port. Um, but importantly, really, has a, a very proud intellectual history. Mm. You can visit the university today, and it's called the Aristotle University. And it was one of the wealthiest trade centers. It was the capital of the province of Macedonia. And you can well imagine the kind of people that were living there. They were living in great prosperity, and uh, there was a lot of idolatry as well there. So a lot of challenges. And its location was at the intersection of two great roads, and those roads promoted trade between Thessalonica and Rome and, and the whole Byzantium Empire. There are questions of authorship as well with the Thessalonians, because there's, um, there's use of the words us and we throughout the book. But right. there's a couple of good references to turn to, actually. If I were to just pick out some of these references, 
in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18, Paul talks about even I, Paul, chapter 3 and verse 5, when I could no longer forbear, says Paul, in relation to Timothy. And then chapter 5 and verse 27, I charge you by the Lord, says Paul. And really the clincher for me is in the second epistle when you come to verse 17, and you can't really refute these words, the salutation of Paul with mine own hands. So it's very clear that Paul wrote these words, and though there is a little bit of dispute around who is the author, the authorship of this book, I think it's very clear. He writes this epistle as well. We, we have to go through the book of Acts, and it's interesting because Thessalonica was visited by Paul after he had visited Philippi and Berea. He goes to Thessalonica, uh, and something really amazing happens in Acts 16, where the Apostle Paul receives the vision from the man from Macedonia who calls him to help him in Macedonia. And so Paul then is compelled to, to go to Macedonia, he goes to Philippi, as I said, Berea and Thessalonica. And interestingly then, these ecclesias become the first Gentile ecclesias to receive the gospel message. Right. Very early on. Yeah, yeah, the beginning of his secondary mission journey. Yeah. Now, that's in Acts chapter 17, where we, we read about him coming to Thessalonica. He was preaching to them that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, mm. right? And they, they believed these things mm. so much that they were able to endure persecutions. They went through some terrible things there. I think we overlook this, actually, with the Thessalonians, because when you read the epistle, it's uh, an incredibly upbeat and exhortational epistle. But it's very clear there in the first chapter, in the first epistle in verse 6, where Paul talks and commends them that they receive the gospel in much affliction. Mm. Um, and he talks about agony as well. This was a, an ecclesia during the time of Nero that was facing persecution for being a, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and had dire consequences. And so it would have been very challenging for these early brothers and sisters. And this ecclesia was made up of Jews and Gentiles, arguably more Gentiles, but these are men and women who have forgone Judaism and paganism to commit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, really a um, a new belief for them, uh, a new way of life in a world that didn't tolerate Christ. Mm. So it's really amazing to me how much they endured, and it became very apparent that the one of the ways they were doing that was their full belief in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was brought out so well in the classes, and this is such a huge topic in Scripture that every book of the Bible deals with this very principle that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, that there's going to be a judgment, and that God is going to establish a kingdom upon this earth. Now, Paul, it's, he's really dealing with very new believers. These Gentiles have never heard this before, but it, it's the same message that really rings through the Acts of the Apostles. And just an example of this is from Acts chapter 3, and I'd like to start at verse 19. Now, this is the Apostle Peter, but it's really amazing to see that their messages were, were the same message. Uh, Peter said, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive 
until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And it's just, first of all, that, that at the end of verse 21 is what I want to pick up on, because God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago these things. We, we would see these things in the Old Testament, and that's all Paul had really to preach from was the Old Testament. And he's doing the same thing. He's talking about it to the Thessalonians that there is a time until the time for restoring all things that Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be a presence of the Lord, as Peter says. Now, that, that word presence there means like in the front of, in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's talking about this literal aspect of Jesus Christ coming back to earth, and we're all going to see him. So with the Thessalonians, this is a key, key message, and I think it's just very important for us to kind of key in right with this message into Thessalonians because it's so powerful, and you can see how much it affected their lives and what Paul was preaching to them. So maybe you can uh, start off for us, uh, Stephen, in, in our key verse here, which was from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3. As you say there, Tim, uh, this whole idea of the parousia runs all the way through the so, first epistle. So let me just back up here. You mentioned the word parousia, yeah. and that's the, the Greek word for c- the coming of Christ, right? Yeah, it's a little more than that, actually. The, the, the word parousia is the presence or the arrival of an emperor or a man of high dignitary. So that's the way that the Greeks thought about it that's way back then. That's the way then. that the Greeks thought about it. And and there's lots of examples all the way through. It's scattered throughout all the chapters here in the first and the second epistle. And this is a, a message that Paul is ramming home, that they were to wait for this man of high dignity, their emperor, their king, and their governor. And I think I covered this in the class as well, that this was a striking contrast, really, because of with Nero... And, and Nero at this time was, was visiting several Greek cities. In fact, there's been archaeological discoveries of a coin that's been found in Patras and Corinth, two Greek cities, with the words Adventus Augusti Corinth. And mm. this is all about the arrival of Nero. And so, presumably, then, the Apostle Paul would have one of these co- coins in his own pocket now, they, they considered Nero a god himself, right? Yeah, absolutely. And he was certainly the emperor. Right. He was certainly the emperor of Rome. And th- this coin was, was all about the arrival of the emperor, and this was going to be something of a wonderful experience for those living in these respective cities, and he was going to bring safety to them. In fact, this whole idea of peace and safety that's picked up later on in the epistle is, again, one of Nero's coins that he was going to bring peace and safety to those cities. And here the Apostle Paul, importantly under inspiration, though these things were happening, it was God who directed him to write these words. But for those believers at Thessalonica, they would have known about these visits of of Nero. And at the same time, Paul is telling them not to focus on the arrival of this emperor. There was a far greater emperor that they mm, were to wait for. Yeah. In fact, he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. He's going to be the risen lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's the point that Paul is making here. Well, that's the idea behind the Christ, right? He is the yeah. anointed. He is the king. 
So when he preaches that Jesus is the Christ, that's really the importance of that. It's really interesting, the background behind these things. Uh, Just going to Scripture here, Tim, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, where this word parousia is used, um, there's another interesting word from classical Greek uh, that Paul, again, under inspiration, uses there, because he says, Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And so this coming is the parousia, the coming of the king, the covenant of the great emperor, But this word here, presence or manifestation, again, in ancient Greek, it was a word that was associated with the appearance of the gods when they Mm. manifested themselves in divine power. And if you think that the Thessalonians would have been able to see Mount Olympus, just 50 miles away where Zeus himself reigned, and they would have known all about this manifestation of power. And here Paul is saying that the real manifestation of power will be there upon the earth when the king arrives, when the emperor arrives. And it won't be any manifestation power of of the gods on Mount Olympus, but it will be one who will reign upon the earth. Yeah, that's really interesting. Can we just back up here and just go back to chapter 1 and verse 3? You call it a royal triplet here, and it has to do with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But can you explain that a little bit more, just what we're looking at here in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3? I think we, we read this, didn't we, at the beginning of the yeah. podcast as our key verse. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. And here Paul is reflecting upon this wonderful example of this young ecclesia. And I refer to this really as the royal triplets because faith, love, and hope, they're, they're well-known words there that form a triplet. You will recognize those mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 13. Really, 1 Corinthians 13 is the... Yeah, that's the, the one I chapter. remember, yeah. yeah. Faith, hope, and love. Yeah. But bear in mind that this was written perhaps AD 52, 53. This is the first writing of the Apostle Paul. So in fact, in your scripture... This is the first time you're going to come across these Oh, right. Words. So chronologically, this is the first time that he uses that triplet, faith, hope, and love. Yeah. Or in this case, it's faith, love, and hope. Yeah. Right. And I call those words there the, the royal triplet, because this book is all about the arrival of the emperor or the king, and these qualities certainly relate to the Lord Jesus Christ, faith, love, and hope. And, and we could view those really as the, the qualities of the inner man. But there's another triplet notice, because you've got... The work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. And if we think about those words, work and labor and patience, we would refer to those as marketplace terms, that you mm. you work and you labor and you're patient in the things that you are growing. In fact, you can look in a concordance. I think you've covered that yeah. in the past yeah. around concordances. You'll find that these are very much everyday words relating to those that worked in the marketplace. They would take their produce to the marketplace and they would have grown their produce. They would have been patient in the growing and they then would benefit from the sales of their goods. Right. And it's the combination of the two of these things here, the inner man, the faith, hope, and the love, and the, the outer man. We could view those as the outer man qualities, work, labor, and patience. And I guess if you think about them, they are two sets of triplets. And... As we know, Scripture is consistent, and you can think about the phrase, faith without works is dead, in James 2 and verse 20. 
And, and you've got there faith with faith, hope and love. And you've got the works there, work, labor and patience. And so continually we're seeing that the believer of the Lord Jesus Christ needs both of these qualities. But perhaps another way of looking at this, your work of faith and your labor of love and your patience of hope, if we were to interchange really the word of and say the result of, then you'd have something like your work as the result of your faith, your labor as the result of your love, your patience as the result of your hope. So you don't have six different qualities, but you've got two triplets, as we talked about. But then, if we look at it like that, the result of, you've got a, well, how would you describe it? A triplet of doubles. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In each of those phrases, you've got two interrelated attributes, and one generates the other. One word is is kind of the, the building block for the other. So faith leads to work, love leads to labor, and hope leads to patience and they're the stages, I think, of the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're yeah. stages of maturity. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting how much is just packed right in one verse, and it can go forward and backwards and sideways, and you really need to look at that carefully. I think in our show notes, we'll put some uh, PowerPoint yeah. that kind of map it out a little bit better so you can you can see that. So that there's the, the three of them there. The work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope, or the steadfastness of of hope. Now, this was really interesting thing you brought out. Is these three come out in different parts of scriptures? You said, but they're they're also through the Thessalonians as well. And you brought one out in verse chapter one, verses nine and ten as well. This idea of the the work and the labor and the steadfastness altogether. You maybe explain that for us. I think it's really helpful the way that the first chapter works out because here Paul is remembering without ceasing their work of faith and labor and love and patience of hope. And I think that's the key word, isn't it? He's remembering. He's remembering these individuals. He's remembering mm. their faces and their characters and the experiences that he's had. This is all about people. Yeah. And, and it's so important that it is about people because these people, these brothers and sisters, actually done that. Because if you look carefully at verses 9 and 10, you see that Paul makes these wonderful words of commendation. And he says at the end of verse 9 that you've turned to God and you serve the living and true God and you wait for his Son. In other words, turn to God is is to is the work of faith, isn't it? And mm-hmm. and serving the living God is the labor of love. And there in verse ten, waiting for His Son from heaven is the patience of hope. Yes, and that's evidence, isn't it? There, there's Paul saying you need these triplets here, all this triplet of qualities, and this is the case study, the first case study really that we see in the New Testament and Ecclesia that has got these two sets of triplets in harmony of working. And being faithful is this ecclesia. And we shouldn't underestimate, really, how challenging that is. We can say that that was fairly straightforward for them, really, to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and to think about what was on offer. But, you know, you think about turning to God. That would have been a huge decision for them. Um, Just think, idols are dead, and the, the contrast, God is living. Idols are are false, and, and God is true. Idols are many, God is one. Idols are visible and tangible, and, and God is invisible. We can't see him. He's intangible. Idols are creatures. They're the works of human hands, and, and God is the creator of the universe and all mankind. So there's a stark contrast in all those attributes. It must have been 
a huge decision, a, a very faithful decision for them to, to make. The Lord Jesus Christ, really, the captain of their salvation. Yeah, as it says in Acts, it was turning the whole world upside down, and their world was just completely changed to turn from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Mm. That really clicked for me, this essential Bible study here about to wait for his son. That's the third one you brought out here in verse 10, right? That aligns with, in verse 3, the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And this is really that, that maturity of when faith and love and hope it's what gives us our endurance, our ability to be long-suffering, to go through the trials, the tribulations in our lives, and persecutions that, that we may face, is this hope we have before us. I've, I've had someone tell me, like, hope, oh, that seems kind of uncertain, like we hope it happens. And that's not what this hope is all about. This is a, a certainty that this is going to happen, but it's something that we look forward to, is the idea behind it, that rules our, our thoughts and minds. And this is really what comes out in Thessalonians. This is what makes this epistle so interesting, is that each one of these chapters then ends in this hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're to patiently wait for him, that he is coming, and what that means. So let me just read these out. So we have at the end of chapter one that we're to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then if you go to chapter two, at the end of chapter two, Paul says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So there's the mention again of the coming of the Lord. Then if you go at the end of chapter 3, Paul says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And then in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, he has quite a dissertation here, but it's in verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there again is the coming of the Lord, which is this Greek word perusia. And then finally, at the end of chapter 5, so each one of the chapters, at the end of chapter 5 in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in most of these passages at the end, he's talking about the perusia, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are already explaining to us this, this word perusia, and how it has this idea of the advent of the king, that he is coming. It's interesting how many different words are used in Scripture for this. So we, we might talk about the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be revealed from heaven. We're going to see him. That's another way it's described. We're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to appear. I think the Greek word was optomai, the idea of optics or seeing him. And then there's this idea of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that's used, which has the idea of 
either being in front of or being face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul was really instilling in the Thessalonians so that they might have hope and be able to patiently endure all these things was this, this vision that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is coming. Is there anything else that we should say about the, the coming of the Lord at this point? Well, what I would say there, the excitement really surrounding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ did cause a couple of problems, didn't it? Because you do see in the second epistle, which Paul wrote from Corinth shortly after he wrote the first one, and he says there that Christ is at hand, and you'll see in your, your margin there that Christ has arrived. And mm. there was this tremendous amount of excitement that the king is arriving, and almost there was too much excitement that right. the king has arrived. And the Apostle Paul spends two epistles, really, saying that there's a number of things that have to take place before the king does arrive. He will be coming. It is guaranteed. But there are a number of things in the first epistle and the second epistle that, that Paul outlines that, that need to take place before it does. Right. Now, that's interesting because just the timing of everything is can be important for our understanding or just the aspect that he's literally revealed. Because there's some people who all say, you know, Jesus Christ has come already. There's some groups that will say that, right? Or that he has come invisibly or those kind of things. But... Paul is really saying here that this isn't important for us to kind of understand the timing. The Thessalonians did have a have a problem with that. I, I think that's exactly right, Tim, because he's very clear in chapter 4 of the first epistle, isn't he, on a number of things, really. He, he talks about the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep at the end of verse 15, and then... Mm. To underline that point, at the end of verse 16, he says, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So in other words, then, uh, the feeling of these Thessalonians were, were, was that a number of them were facing persecution, and they might be foregoing the kingdom of God, somehow missing out. And Paul says, no, a number of things will absolutely happen before the king has arrived, before he reveals himself upon the earth. And the first thing, and... We can be absolutely sure of that because the scriptures say that the first thing will be that the dead in Christ shall rise first. So that's quite an astonishing thought. Here we are talking in Malatulin. If the Lord came just now, you and I wouldn't mm, even know. Right. It's very interesting to think about. This is really such an important topic, Stephen. We're, we're just going to break it off here. We've seen some uh, very important things from the Thessalonians, their background, the things that they went through with their persecutions. And we've seen that how Paul preached to them. He was preaching to them the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is going to end part one right here. And we're going to come back with with part two in our next episode. And we're going to finish up this whole aspect of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're enjoying the podcast or have any questions, we'd love to hear from you go to www.essentialbiblestudies.org and fill out that contact form. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like us there and join the conversation. It's easy to share on social media so you can do your part to spread the truth about God's Word. 
This is a Christadelphian podcast supported by the Book Road Ecclesia in beautiful Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. Until we meet again, dear friends, I pray to God that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.